Hello, Texans, and welcome to the podcast. Boy, we've got a good one for you today. Ralph Cooper is unbelievable. He has been in Houston sports media since the early 70s, late 60s. We're going to hear his whole story. It's fascinating. He's interviewed more legends than maybe anybody else in the history of Houston sports media. I mean, it's that good. So just wait till you hear what he has to say. I've seen him around covering Texans events. He used to be on the show Extra Points on ABC 13. Hey, that title is familiar because now it's Texans Extra Points. We took over the program in 2014 and made it into an all-Texans-type show. That was just part of our process and doing shows with ABC 13. But Ralph has done so much in the market, hosts his own sports talk show, Afternoons on KCOH. Let's get into it with a true legend in Houston sports media, Houston sports period, Houston Media, it's Ralph Cooper. Such a pleasure to be joined by Ralph Cooper right now. The Godfather. Can I call you the Godfather, Ralph? I mean, people call you that, right? Of Houston Sports Talk and Houston Sports Media in many ways because you've been around so long and done so much. Yeah, I share the name um, proudly with with John McClain. I think uh, there's enough territory for both of us and some more, you know. Yeah. It's good. No problem with that. Well, he's the general. You could be the godfather. Uh, I don't know. There's plenty of room for other titles, too. But I know you got into the Texas Radio Hall of Fame a couple of years ago and uh, a tremendous honor that is. And can you talk about that? Let's start there, Ralph, because getting into the Texas Radio Hall of Fame means a lot to anybody, means a lot to um, all the inductees. What did it mean to you to get that honor? Well, when I when I looked in there and I saw all the great names that were there, uh, it was a it was an honor uh, because when I had when I first started uh, radio or broadcasting communications, I had uh, no clue about any types of, of Hall of Fame. Like the only Hall of Fame I knew was about the Pro Football Hall of Fame and Cooperstown a Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, and to be uh, voted into the uh, Texas Radio Hall of Fame is uh, it was just it just uh, took me to another level. I, uh, I've never been to heaven. Uh, but heaven here, heaven here on earth was a great thing. That's what the, that's the feeling I got. Well, and you're honored. Look, we all know you for sports, right? But when I say we all, it's not necessarily all of us because many people remember that you did a lot of news and that's how you got your start in this business. And you wrote for what is it? The Forward Times, correct? Right. When I when I started, when I started with the Forward Times, I wanted to do sports. They wouldn't let me do sports. They sent me to the courts and to uh uh, to the jail situations, the uh, criminal uh, correction centers. And I interviewed individuals. And uh, But believe it or not, that helped me in regards to transferring over to sports later on because uh, you, you dealt with some ice-cold people uh, mm-hmm. in situations that you really didn't know you were getting into until you were locked up. Say you locked up in a cell interviewing someone who had raped or murdered someone, and they're telling you their story. And then later on, you get your tape. I, I went in with a tape recorder. I gave them the tapes. My, all of my cassettes and tapes were uh, subpoenaed. I, and, and, the, and the attorneys used them to convict some people. So uh, it was a very enlightening experience about the court system. Oh, my gosh. So that, that could be used as evidence, really. Yeah, that's what they did. <laughs> that's what they did. So it taught you a lot in, in regard to being a better sports journalist to be a quote, real journalist covering real hard news like that. But you still wanted to do sports, even though you were in some really interesting newsy situations. Right. And um, then I finally got a break because at the Forward Times newspaper, they had, a, they had some great writers, in my opinion, uh, but they wanted to cover uh, 
the uh, the Oilers. Uh, they wanted to cover Texas Southern, the University of Houston, and and Rice at that time. No one wanted to cover the Astros. When I found that out, that was a blessing in disguise. And no one wanted to do the middle, the what is now the middle schools. I did the junior high schools back then, and uh, it gave you. The, the junior high schools gave you an in I saw Lester Hayes play high school. I mean, uh, junior high school football and basketball. I saw Clyde Drexler and, you know, all these guys at a young, very, very uh, Dexter Manley, all these guys at a very, very young age. Mm-hmm. And, and you kind of grew up with them and uh, that turned into a blessing. Also, then when I found, when I went to the Astros, I, I made a lot of many of the, um, there were many people who had not taken advantage of what could happen with the Astros because you had the visiting team. You had Willie Mays and Hank Aaron and Roberto Clemente and all these guys playing. And they were open to interviews. All you had to do is just show up and just walk up to them right behind the batting cage or whatever and ask for an interview and they would give it to you. So that, that's, that, that was a big plus. All right, so what part of Astros history is this? Are we talking 70s? You mentioned Clemente and Willie Mays. Are we talking early 70s, late 60s? <laughs> 69, 70, 71, that, that era, Harry Walker, uh, Jimmy Wynn, uh, Joe Morgan before he was traded. Uh, right. We talked Larry Durker when he was young. Uh, uh, young uh, Rusty Staub was, well, he was gone when I started. But, uh, but, but uh, Cesar Cedeno when he came up. I saw Dusty Baker also when he, when he came up. So uh, I've really been blessed to be around to talk about it. You know that. (laughs) Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, I think that's a great point about baseball, Ralph. I'm sure it still blows your mind. How many local guys in the media don't take advantage of going to batting practice and just hanging out there? Because even today you can really, you can still talk to skip before the game. You can't do that in pro football. No, no, no. And see, (laughs) you you walk up to Roberto Clemente and Willie Stargell. And, and, and then you had to run off doc Ellis. Once doc Ellis back in the day started talking, he saw you had a tape recorder. You had to actually turn it off on him. So, I mean, hey, it, it, some great memories. Great, great memories. That's outstanding. Okay, so how does KCOH get started or getting on the radio in general, Ralph, in your career? Because you started out as a writer, and how do you get on the air? I had two, uh, two people played – well, three people played play key roles. One was Rick Roberts. Rick Roberts was a genius in radio. Rick Roberts uh, – uh, several of those Hall of Famers that you see in the Texas Radio Hall of Fame, uh, Don Sams or Michael Harris, he, he mentored many of these people, and he saw something in me that I didn't see. And uh, I started off by helping him with the high school games and the Texas Southern University uh, games. I was like, I was not a runner because I got on the air, but he was so, he was so far ahead of his time, he, he decided to put me on the sideline, right? Now, we're talking the early 1970s at a black college football game in what was then Jefferson Stadium on the U of H campus. Mm-hmm. And he would have me on the sideline doing reports actually during the games. Not Neither one of us knew that this would be the trend of the future, right? Right. And, and if we did it, we didn't have all this technology that people have today. I could hear him with a transistor radio in my ears, and I would just wave a white flag, uh, a white handkerchief or whatever, when I was ready, and he would wave back. <laughs> Put you meant go. <laughs> so I love you know, this. All kind of, all kind of innovations. And uh, so Rick Roberts, uh, Charles Porter, who was the first black anchor guy at Channel 13, uh, he was at K- KCOH when I started there. And he mentored me also. And then another one, which I didn't know what I had. And some of these tapes, I still have some I don't. This guy worked at KCOH. He heard, he, he would read my articles in the forward times. He said, do you have tape on those people? And I said, yeah, most of them I have tape on. And he would take the tape 
and then he started running them on the radio. And the next thing I knew, I had five minutes in the afternoon and five minutes in the evening. And the next thing I wanted, I, I, I listened to Jerry Trupiano, Anita uh, Martini. I wanted to do what they did. So I had, I plotted out a plan that took a moment to get me a talk show on a daily basis on a historically black radio station that was known for playing music, black music. Right. I convinced them that they could also have this market. Oh, there's so much to get into here, Ralph, and I really appreciate the visit. All right, so KCOH, when I watched the Ray Charles movie, okay, Jamie Foxx, right. I see KCOH in the movie. Ray, did Ray Charles really go to KCOH, make that appearance, and yeah. just discuss that part of it for us because that popped out to me at the time when the movie was released. That's true. That's that that is a historical that's one of the historical moments of KCOH where Ray Charles actually came into the station, stopped by, met his with a uh, uh, future wife there. Mm-hmm. And uh, that 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 is uh, true. But now the biggest crowd I ever saw to come to KCOH. Now, Muhammad Ali would come to KCOH also. He came to KCOH when he first before the draft, he would come and visit a DJ named Skipper Lee Frazier. He drew big, big crowds. But the guy who drew the biggest crowd that I ever seen on that corner was James Brown. One day, James Brown came up and mind you, people didn't have what we have now. Social media. It was like smoke signals signals went up everywhere. (laughs) Everywhere. Word got out. Yeah. See, so you 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 had all those kind of historical people to come in there. Arthur Ashe and uh, Jim Brown. They've all been in there. Uh, You know, you had and locally you had the Elvin Hayes. You had uh, everybody. Moses, uh, Moses Malone, mm-hmm. uh, so Kenny Double O, Kenny Burrow, we did a show together. Richard Johnson of the Houston uh, Oilers. Uh, I even did a show while he was on KTRH. He had a show on KTRH, and he approached me about being on KCOH. I told him I didn't, I didn't have any real money. I could get him some money. He said, and then after I told him what I could get him, he said, well, we can do 30 minutes. You can tape and ask me anything you want to. Jerry Glanville. I did a show with him for two years while he was still on, <laughs> on KTRH. Oh, really? Making, making whatever he was making at KTRH. So, but he was very innovative and it was a good program. I, I would interview him every Friday. I'd come out with a tape recorder and interview him. And we talked about the game and other things. All right. So when you start doing your talk show, are you taking calls or is it mostly interviews? You would have guessed that kind of thing. Or are you doing a monologue? How did it play? What was the format? One of my, uh, two of my first guests were Elvin Hayes and uh, Calvin Murphy and uh, Willie White, who was a five time Olympian. She came to town. I got her. Those were some of my first interviews. And um, most of the time. And I also did. I had a guy, an older guy from the forward times, Barry Shields, who was very knowledgeable. He was like a, a nerd when it came to numbers and stuff in sports. And I have him on with me. And. The calls started almost immediately. But now get this. Texas Monthly Magazine came here around 1970, 71. They did a story on radio talk show sports. So they included me and they didn't, the word was it wouldn't work with black people. Now you, you all, thanks to Ralph Cooper being the guinea pig, you all get all these black callers, right? You get, they they said black people would, black males would not call sports talk shows. This was, it's, it's in print in 1971. In, oh in a Texas magazine. And they, how wrong could they be? But I told them, they said, you think this will work? I said, yeah, it'll work. You just give it a moment. Not only will they be calling me, but they're going to call the other shows more. There'll be more callers on the other shows of color. 
Yeah. Yeah. And this is before the days of a sports talk station, but there right. were shows on the different stations, KTRH especially. And, and KPRC back in the day. Also. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And KPRC. All right. So how does Extra Points get started on ABC 13? You were a regular on that show, but I know it started as something else. This is before my time in Houston when I got here in 2002, which is like complete different modern era compared to when you started in this in this business. But tell me about the origins of that. Well, that was Bob, Bob Allen's idea. Bob, the late Bob Allen. Uh, we were at the uh, at the Yates High School, Temple High School, state championship football game in Austin. And he came up and told me he was about to start this new program. And, and he didn't have the name of it then. Okay. Uh, you had programs. Craig Roberts was first. Craig Roberts, if I'm correct, was first. He had a program on Channel 2. And you had Gifford Nielsen on Channel 11. Right. So Bob came and approached me that he was about to do this show and he wanted me, me to be part of it. He had not, didn't have all the details. And you know how Bob is. We know Bob. Yeah. So about three months later, I get another call from Bob. <laughs> We're still working on the program. But don't, don't, don't do nothing. I want you on the program. So about that time, I hear from Guilford Nielsen on his program on Channel 11. But Bob, I, I grew up with him. I remember when Bob Allen was on radio. Most people don't. I used to win his contest. Uh, uh, on the radio. I used to call and, and win his tickets. But to make a long story short, tell it like it is, uh, I, I, I decided to do that because it was Bob Allen. And then I found out I, he was going to have Kenny Hand on it there of the, of the Chronicle of the Post in, and he's going to have Ed Fowler of the Chronicle. And that's the kind of program I wanted to do. I had dreamed of that kind of, you know, I watched the sports reporters. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Said, you know, that would be great to do something like that, more so than standing behind the deal, reading scores, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, hey, that's, but we had no idea that it would take off like it did. The first show was at Willie G's on South Post Oak, right? And they had us in a little spot, uh, maybe about uh, 10 yards wide by 10 yards wide. So the next week I go there and I pull up and I see all these cars everywhere. I said, damn, somebody's having a hell of a party in here tonight. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize they were there for us. The show right. just took off that quick. And he had, uh, he put, uh, Ray Childress had a part in the program, which was a key also. So he had a segment with Ray Childress. And then the three of us would uh, be in there with him. And, uh, hey, I did that for 20 years. I think I was, I was the last of the Long Rangers of the program. So I feel blessed because uh, Tim Melton took over. Right. And then Bob Slovak came in. So I worked with all three of them. And then you had Charlie Polillo to come in. Flint, Fran uh, uh, Blindberry also was right. part of the show at one time. So uh, to have worked with all those different people uh, was a uh, really uh, an experience that I can't even explain. A lot of different incarnations, and, and you were a staple. Uh, Ralph, <laughs> tell me about the evolution of KCOH and your show, because I know the stations changed hands and you know, you're still doing the show. How has that transition been? I know we've gone through a lot of it already, but take us through that. Well, when the, um, about seven or eight years ago, there was a change. The, 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 the station owner, Mike Patrizzo, he passed. The station was sold. And then it went through a couple of different hands and it became a digital station. I decided to stay there, even when it was just digital for about a year and a half or two years, I decided to stay there because of the two young people that I had met who were, who were working there. They, 
they knew social media. And I also knew that this was going to be the thing, what we're doing here now. And I said, this is like going to school. So I'll just sit here for a moment and see what happens. And then eventually three years ago, KCOH went back on the air, 12.30 a.m. It was 14.30 a.m. Now it's 12.30 a.m. We're back on the air. We've been there for, uh, as of May, uh, this, would, this, this is the start of the fourth year. As someone who's been through as much as you have in media, what do you make of all the changes in media, in sports media, social media, becoming a more digital age? What is your reaction to all that over the past 10, 15 years, Ralph? Well, you try to you you try to keep yourself separated. Some in social media are very good. Uh, some are very f- professional, but you have some clowns who are in the business who don't really prepare. Uh, they don't know how to interview people, and they make it bad for people who are coming up and who are good, and even for people like you and me. They make because we're under the same rules. The rules have been changed to the game. They put time limits. Uh, they you have to schedule interviews. Like I was telling you earlier, one time. You can just walk up to the individual. I remember Bum Phillips made this comment. He was, it was a Friday, Friday before practice ended. They were wheeling in beer, kegs of beer and pizza. And so Bum Phillips said, uh, you know, he didn't know my name. Then he said, young man, uh, why don't you stick around? We're gonna have some beer and pizza after we get through practicing. So I told him I didn't eat pizza, which I didn't at that time. He said, well, if you're going, if you're going this is how it changed now. If you're going to cover my football team, you're going to learn how to eat pizza. Because <laughs> he said he and he made it. His point was, and he said it: if you're going to cover these people, you need to know them, and they need to know who you are. And all you have to do is just stay out here, drink some beer, and eat pizza. So when it was over, guess what happened? I ran back into him. So he said, "How did you like it?" I said, I, "I've got one request. Can you get some thin crust pizza?" <laughs> so see that you know, see you see all these changes, and but I think the changes are good because. They're good, but I don't I don't like some of the things in regards to how they restrict people who are professionals. Hey man, I've interviewed Jesse Owen, Satchel Page, Joe Lewis, Mickey Mantle. And you know, when they could talk, all of them talk. You know what I'm talking about? I've interviewed Arthur Ashe and all these great people, uh, Billie Jean King. And you know, we shouldn't, those of us who are qualified shouldn't be restricted in my opinion like some of these, like we're just starting, like we don't know what we're doing. But it's the, it's, the, it's the game, so I go by the rules. I mean, Ralph, as you say some of those names, I am just floored. I, and anybody listening is absolutely floored. The likes of Satchel Page interviewing Jesse Owens, that is fantastic and amazing. Tell me about talking to Jesse Owens, if you can recall that for us. He loved to do interviews early in the morning. So he'd be at the radio station at six o'clock. The interview wasn't scheduled at seven thirty. He'd be there at six o'clock. But you, I would go early because he would share all these other stories about Berlin, about Ohio State, about running uh, in bad shoes on bad tracks. And then I discovered something else. He loved coffee. He <laughs> coffee, and he smoked. He smoked. He died of lung cancer. It didn't surprise me when I learned that he had died of lung cancer because he smoked. And uh, but he was a great man. Uh, he loved to talk. He loved to. Uh, he 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 told me about Carl Lewis before I even knew who Carl Lewis was. He said there was a young man up in New Jersey that you're going to hear a lot about one day. His name is Carl Lewis. Remember that name. And, and we had no clue Carl Lewis would come down to Houston and become who he became in the Olympics. Also, so a great interview. Satchel Page, tell me about him. 
Satchel Page, when I interviewed him, it was in the dome. It was uh, Bowie Kuhn had started an effort to get uh, Negro League players into the Hall of Fame. So he brought Satchel Page and a couple other people here, Monty Irvin. And Satchel Page was in the dugout of the Astros. And I started, I asked him two or three questions. He said, young man, hold it a minute. He said, who are you? And I told him who I was. And he, he told me about a black actor named Ralph Cooper in New York. And I told him that's who my mother named me after, Ralph Cooper. Mm. And so he said, I wish I had known you before I wrote my book. I said, why? why? He said, I would have hired you. You asked better questions than the people I paid money, good money for. They never asked these, these kind of questions. So, and, but I, I remember his arms were so long. Even though he was old, he still, he was, he was in his 60s and 70s. He was still in great shape and looked like he could throw for maybe an inning or two then. People sometimes ask me, what's your favorite interview ever? It's hard to pick a favorite, but give me two or three of the ones that really stand out to you personally, that meant a lot to you personally, Ralph. Well, you know, you, Arthur Ashe. Mm -hmm. Arthur, interview, having a chance to interview Arthur Ashe, the last time I interviewed him, he came to the station. I stand up when I do my programs at, in radio. I haven't sat down since uh, I can't remember, 1984 or so. So I've been blessed. So he saw me standing up. He had a warm-up on, and he said, uh, you going to stand up? I said, and I didn't even know he was sick at that time. He, was, he said, I'm going to stand up, too. I said, okay. But to, but to hear him talk about what he went through in Virginia and other places in regards to being the only black guy out there playing tennis and what his father and some others meant to him in regards to picking up the you know, uh, racket and playing, uh, it, it was huge. Now, the other one is uh, Jim Brown. Jim Brown said I was keeping his program warm. He said I was really, it was really his radio show and that I was <laughs> just keeping the seat warm for him and to keep doing a great job. And he talked about what he went through at Syracuse and, and how he decided to break into the movie business. And he talked about his, his ladies in the movies. I mean, uh, yeah. I said, well, who was some Raquel of Welsh. Uh, well, that was one of Jacqueline Bissett. Wow. Uh, 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 Foxy Brown, uh, what's it? Uh, you know uh, what I'm talking about? Pam Greer. Oh my goodness, Pam Greer, Sheila Frazier. Uh, he yeah. said all of those were his his ladies. He said, well, if you, he said, think about it. You over in London, you're filming movies and you, you're supposed to report to a football camp. Which one would you do? <laughs> so so Jim Brown was another one. And then the other one, uh, to have a chance to sit down with Muhammad Ali one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. in, in a uh, hotel room and, and then listen to him tell stories about, uh, he told stories about giving, how a person should uh, not let money control what they do and to, to uh, that he wasn't perfect. Now he, he admitted he had it, he loved women too, you know, and, uh, and uh, but to try to give and help as many other people as you can to use that tool that you had, that I had in regards to the media. And the other one was Eddie Robinson. Oh. There's no, interview like Coach Eddie Robinson. Uh, he would talk about his Grambling football program and his players, but he also talked about how you had to appreciate with all the wrongs that were here in America, and although you were black, you still had a blessing and you could still do just about anything you wanted to if you worked hard to achieve it. So that's what I, I, got, I got from him also. Ralph, sometimes I think that people don't appreciate enough what athletes like you were just talking about what they went through in society what you went through in society and i i know today i 
I, correct me if I'm wrong. Things are better, but they're far from perfect. But when you look at that era, when you look at 50s, 60s, 70s, there was so much work to be done. A lot of it has gotten done, but obviously much more needs to be done. Help me out with that. Okay. And see, and I'm going to go to the other part in a minute, but see, even in, in the black schools, I went to Tennessee State to cover a football game, Texas Southern and Tennessee State. Mm -hmm. You do football games on the all levels. Have you ever did one from the roof? On uh, the top well, of the roof? Yeah, uh, yeah, once, but I got you. I, I get the picture. Top of the roof, <laughs> Tennessee State, uh, same thing at Alcorn State. They, they, they've evolved now where they have better facilities, et cetera, et cetera, and they appreciate the media, even the visiting right. media. But you, you think back to you go to the Cotton Bowl for the first time, and a guy comes up to you while you're at the board and say the trash can is over there. And that guy, <laughs> wow. I, didn't, I didn't say anything. I just walked off. Believe it or not, an hour or so later, the guy came over and apologized. I don't know who talked to him or whatever, but somebody heard the conversation, and I just, they know that I didn't go off on him and, you know, that kind of stuff. So or you go to – you, you go to games and they lost your, your application for a press pass and you got to stand there for an hour or so to get into the game, that kind of stuff. But you were determined to, to get into the game. Now, I've walked in some places with no press pass back in the day and uh, just found a way to get in <laughs> and cover the event. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but it, it's changed in regards. And, and see, I learned from, I learned from people both people of color and not of color. I learned from Kylie Nicholson at Grambling State University. Uh, he was a, a war correspondent in the Pacific in World War II. Guess what? He was a Marine and he was black and he was the only one. You learn from his, he shared his experiences. I learned from Murray, Murray Goodman, his Bob Goodman's son, the boxing uh, guru up in New York. The, the father would come here with Muhammad Ali. The father was a Russian. But he taught me all he, he knew all kind of ways to interview people and how they been around Joe Lewis and Sugar Ray Robinson and all these people. And he shared stories with how you get to know these people and where they trust you. And so you you, you think about that. So and, I, and I've been blessed with George Foreman. I met George Foreman at a young age and I went everywhere with him. Just about everywhere George Foreman went. I went. I went to Africa. I, I had no no clue that I was going to Africa for eight or nine weeks. <laughs> until... oh, you, you covered that. You covered okay. the rumble in the jungle. Yep. I was in, that was life changing. Also, you get out, you go into, a, that was the first time I ever went into a country. But when you come in with your passport and your driver's license ID or whatever, they wanted to know how much money you had. See, but when, when I got there, I didn't have but $36. But I had, I stopped off. I, I'd be, uh, I knew, Mark, that I never would get back to Paris, France, Madrid, Spain, and, uh, you know, those kind of places at a, at a young age, Rome, Italy. I knew I would never get back there like that. Single, with a, and I had money when I left. Now, I will admit I had money, but I had a party when I stopped off in Paris, Rome, and Madrid, Spain. So I get to Africa, the Africans wouldn't let me in the country. So I told them, they said, who do you know of you? I said, well, I told them I knew George, but they were at the workout. They were, it was the middle of the day when my plane arrived. They were at the workout. So they treated me like I was a piece of scum until they found out that I was telling the truth. Now they picked my bag up. They want to get calling them Coopers. They put an S on my name. <laughs> and they, they, they took me to the hotel and that kind of stuff. But 
to be in a place where you had a dictator and then you have people to tell you that, hey, you know, you shouldn't go out of the, the, the perimeter. Right. The perimeter. But they say, well, if you do go out, they're not going to mess with you because of what Mobutu is the president. So right. I said, what did Mobutu do? This is when I really realized where I was. They said a couple of writers from Britain got mugged or something early. And they took all the criminals out to the stadium where the fight was going to be, all the known criminals. And they told them to give them up. Whoever did it, bring them up here, uh, turn them in. They wouldn't turn them in. They picked 10 people. And they took them under the corridors, under the stadium. Right. Against the wall and shot them dead. So I didn't believe this until one day the Africans that I met over there took me. And they said, you can see the bullet holes and you can still see the red stain. And they, hey, so... That's when you realize, and, and then, then I realized something else when the fight was postponed. Three people couldn't leave Africa or couldn't leave the Congo or Zaire. George Foreman, who they watched all the time because they thought he was trying to get out of there, which he wanted to move the fight to Houston, uh, Madison Square Garden. After he got Ali, hurt. Yeah. Ali, George Foreman, and Don King. They had uh, Mobutu, I think, had spent 10 or $15 million on the fight, and they had to get the fight in. So they had to stay there. and. The movie When We Were Kings was made of that right, sequence right. of that was, weeks, which I've yeah. seen. I recommend to everybody. But right. you were there. So right. have, I, I assume you've seen that documentary, Ralph. How quick, how accurately does it depict what went on? It, it, it's, it's very accurate. And it, it, it shows what the training sessions were like. The Africans were mad at George when he got off the, off the airplane with a, a German shepherd. The um, the, in the Congo, Leopoldville, when the Belgians were there, the Belgian people were running the country, they had used German shepherds like Bull Connor did over in, um, in Alabama, whatever, in regards to keeping people under control, black people under control. Mm -hmm. So when they saw George get off the uh, airplane with the dog, I wasn't with him, but I became friends with the Africans. They held that, some of them held that against it. Then I told him, had that dog been with him? Since he was a little baby, he, he had no clue what, what, what was going on, but it was about the dog. But Ali used that time when the fight was postponed to really get into the people. And he, in the, in the George's head also, that, that, that Ali Bumbaye and all that stuff yep. started. So, and he got closer to who was going to be his future wife also, Veronica Porsche. She wow. was there as a, she was there as Miss Ali. She was there as, they had a Miss Foreman and a Miss Ali as a promotional part of the uh, fight. Mm -hmm. She was misforming, uh, but Ali was Ali. <laughs> yeah. But he loved, hey, he knew who the woman was, but he loved it. Uh, yeah. People talk about, they talk, when you see King Kong, he's in love with the little blonde, right? <laughs> yes. The, big, bad, the baddest man on the planet falls in love with this lady. Oh my gosh. What a story. What a story. <laughs> Uh, all right. So same question. I asked you about the interviews, two or three interviews. If I if I said two or three events or whatever, series or whatever, you've covered a lot of stuff. Is that in that top three covering the rumble in the jungle? I mean, considering how many weeks it was and the significance of the jungle. But but the other one is happened here. Monday night football. Mm -hmm. Earl Campbell breaks for four touchdowns. That building. I've seen some great events in that building. I saw Doug Williams throw four, five, six touchdowns against Texas Southern. You saw the University of Houston run up 100 points on Cincinnati or whatever. But to see Earl, Cam see Earl Campbell, I can still hear the crowd. The Monday night football, you do football. You would have loved, you would have paid to do that game. 
mm-hmm. with the crowd noise and everything. I mean, it was just electric. It was electric. The whole event. That's that's one. And the other one, believe it or not, is something that happened in New Orleans. And it wasn't a Super Bowl. I've been to the Super Bowls in New Orleans. This was Ali and Leon Spinks in a rematch on a Friday night on ABC. And in the hotel that I was staying in, and it happened in other hotels, the Hyatt Regency there, they ran out of food at 10 o'clock in the morning. The bars were out of whiskey and stuff. They, they ran out of three or four, five times the day of the fight. And then when the fight is over, you had, they claim they had 70,000 in the Superdome. But it had to be, a, you, you know these crowds. Mm-hmm. The floor was packed. It had to right. be 100,000 people there. And when the fight was over, four or 5,000 of those people came to the Hilton Hotel where Ali was. I mean, just, it was a party. That, that was one of the biggest parties is, is, of all time in New Orleans because they, they're still part. People are still recovering. <laughs> so, so those are some of the big events. And, and to see, that's when he should have quit, in my opinion. He came back, he won the title. He was having a few health issues and he probably should have stayed retired there. Ali. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, we could, we could talk about that. We could do the whole show on Ali. Uh, What about now, Ralph? How do you feel now about what you do and the passion? You clearly are passionate about it still. How do you feel about where you're at, where Houston sports are at and the energy involved. I mean, you still bring it every single day. So give me a little state of the art here of Ralph Cooper and Houston sports. Well, one of the things that keep me going now, the, the younger people, not just the younger athletes, but people like yourself and uh, even like the young man I have helping me with the, with the Zoom, Isaiah Thornton, uh, who's an intern now with the Astros um, and a Texas Southern product. Those are the things that keep me going. And the other thing that keeps me going is you, you want to be better. You, you want people to, if you want people to talk about you, you've got to be different. Um, on, on my birthday here recently, I turned 74. So I did 74 great people. I, I shared memories of 74 people. I didn't write nothing down. I went off the top of my head for two hours and shared 74 great people and what I remembered about meeting them or whatever I wanted to say about them. And, I, and included some of everybody from a Bum Phillips to Eddie Robinson, from a Wilma Rudolph to uh, just, uh, just some of everybody. And so you want, you, wanna, you wanna do something different. I listen to the other shows, I respect everybody and what they do. Um, and, and I learn from them also. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's the, the other thing is the fact that we have so many new, new people coming. I, see, I saw the NCAA track and field meet. That's energy. So you get energy from that. Jasmine Montgomery from San Antonio runs. Uh, you've got a Raven Rogers, who's a professional runner right now, came from Jones High School. Her grandfather uh, was one of my mentors when I was in elementary school. He was in, in, in high school and junior high school, taught many of us how to swim, Coach Roland Rogers. So you get energy from seeing these type things. And you get energy also from like a guy like a, a Lovey Smith, in that position that he's in and he's trying to be, you know, win again in his third effort. He didn't give up. You see Dusty Baker, 70 plus years old. Then you, you think about this, you saw him get his first hit. You paid to see him get his first hit. You know what I'm talking about? So, so to, to be around all of this stuff and, and there's so many great stories, you can't do it all. Right. I mean, with this, this puts me everywhere. And thank you, youngsters. Yeah that I learned from 
and I'm still learning. Um, it, it's it's a it's 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 all inspiration, mm. and to be blessed enough by God. Think about this: to be able to remember what happened 50 years ago. <laughs> That's a monster. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah sure, sure. Go to the and this is uh, so to show you how far we've come. To go to the Houston Oil Camp in Kerrville, Texas, with a tape recorder. Now. Most of the guys are then. The TV sure. people come with the cameras and stuff, but you come out of, you're a black guy, you're the only one out there with a tape recorder. And now all the black guys want to be interviewed. You look up, it's 20 something black guy. Then all of a sudden they tell you that some of the white guys want to be interviewed. <laughs> you interview 27, 30 people in one day. And you know, I couldn't wait to get to bed, right? Take a shower, go to bed. So, but all because of a tape recorder. Now, where's the tape recorder today? When was the last time you used a tape recorder? It's been a while. I know. So, that's, that shows you how far we've come. Absolutely. Yeah. Ralph, you're a total inspiration. I am just exhilarated talking with you. What a, what a treat. And I really appreciate the visit. Well, I, I, I appreciate you having me and I appreciate the work that you do. I've watched you since you've come here, you know, and uh, you've really grown into your job and, you, and you've been the, the ultimate professional. And you believe it or not, you and the youngsters are watching you, too. They're watching. <laughs> They're getting younger all the time. Too. <laughs> Keep up the great work, okay? Yeah, absolutely, Ralph. And that means so much to me. Thank you so much. Okay, and uh, I'm gonna end by saying this: Hopefully, the Texans will have a winning season. Okay, we're all we, hoping. We're hoping. <laughs> we'll all be watching. Absolutely. Thank you. Appreciate right, it. Thanks. Okay. Great visit with Ralph Cooper there. Great to have you all listening to this one and check out all the other podcasts wherever you got this one or wherever fine podcasts are available and all the videos, articles, everything you need to know about your Houston Texans, including ticket information on the Texans app and HoustonTexans.com. Have a great day, everyone, and go Texans!